always our outcome, our number one outcome is student success. Um, we want to make sure our students are are provided the education that we want for our own children. Um, as parents, we want to make sure we're providing that that good experience for for students. We want to prepare them. Gosh, if anything, the last four years have taught us that we've got to be prepared for for the unexpected. <laughs> anything could come our way, and so it's really about learning how to shift um, when you need to shift. Welcome, everyone, to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And this week, I'm excited to welcome Shauna Hiddle, who is the Assistant Soup of Academic Leadership at Hallsville, Texas. Shauna, besides being a phenomenal leader with a huge heart, uh, comes to us as, if you, if you know our Leader in Me community, we know that we have Lighthouse Schools. We have, you know, 7,000 Leader in Me schools across the country. We got, you know, 1,000 or so. I'm probably get that number wrong. Lighthouse Schools. But we only have 14 legacy schools, which are schools that have been doing life-changing work of enabling and empowering student leaders and staff leaders for over a decade. And so she's someone who helped build a school that has a culture that's getting stronger and stronger, even since she left that school and that district. And so we spend our time today talking about the power of building a culture and how to build effective teams. And so we dive in you know, what, to topics like, what can we learn from being an elementary school leader to going to a secondary level and then vice versa. We talk about what are the most important aspects to approach and building culture your first year in a building. What are things that you can do to keep it fresh if you've been in a building for five or 10 years? It's a refreshing conversation because Sean is someone who understands the, the delicate balance that we have to have of increasing our academic results with kids, but also building a culture where staff want to stay and thrive. Students want to show up and thrive and parents are proud to send their kids to. And so as you'll see pretty quickly, Shauna just has a very warm personality and she has a uh, quite a bit of experience to, to draw on. And so the conversation is really easy and fun to have with her. So I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. It's a great conversation. If you're a subscriber, thank you for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. But most importantly, if you're listening and you hear something Shauna talks about that you think would be encouraging or uplifting to other educators in your life, please share it. Uh, again, thank you for being a listener and hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. All right, Shauna, it is awesome to have you here. Thank you for making time for us. And I assume what is a busy start to a school year. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, can you just tell us, just so the, the world can get to know you, what, what's your education journey been like from, you know, where you are today, but most importantly, how you got started and how you got to where you are today? Well, I've been at this a really long time. So <laughs> this is my 31st year in education. So I am sort of way back in 1993. So I have kind of come a full circle on seeing all the different aspects of education and leadership. Um most of those years have been in a leadership role. Um, so I started off as a teacher, of course, and then taught for about six years before I headed into administration and served as um, educational facilitating um, academics of some campuses and then into assistant principal and served as principal um, at an elementary school and secondary school for about 14 years before I went into going into some 
um, district level leadership jobs and served over teaching and learning. And then now my current role is assistant superintendent over academic leadership. So before we dive into that role, I think you said in there that you have a background in school leadership at the elementary and the secondary levels, right? I do. I do. And it, so what, how, how is that shock whenever you cross that bridge, right? Like I'm of a secondary background. And so going to elementary was a big shock for me. So what was that shock like for you? And what are the things that you learned? Yeah. So it's really, um, that I, what my biggest shock was the kids are really the same, just in bigger bodies. It's the people you work with, the adults that are very different um, at that elementary level as opposed to that secondary level. They kind of um, imitate their age of students. And so you've got needier at the elementary level and in that secondary, um, they pretty much just want to know how it's done and what the expectations are. So very different um, sets of, of cultures that you have to lead between elementary and secondary. I think the biggest shock for me was just the amount of, I, I remember going in from an elementary principal to a secondary. It was a, my first one was in middle school and middle school is just, you know, I say I did some time in middle school and <laughs> junior high. So I, I did time there. So that was fun because it just, you know, there was no structure or order to it like there is in elementary school. So that was my biggest struggle. And learning how to adapt and lead that type of environment, um, which is very different than a, a controlled environment such as an elementary school. Yeah, I think, you know, when I think about now that I've been exposed to uh, so many elementary schools across the country, I often think I wish I would have had some exposure to elementary school teaching early on, because I think there are some parts that I really, that could have helped me be a better high school teacher. I'm curious when you think about what what do you think helped you from the elementary side to be an effective leader at the secondary side? I think it's the instructional background that you gain as an elementary leader. You um, have to be so much a part of the instructional day um, and leading that, where at secondary, it becomes more about content. And I think coming from that greater global view from elementary helped me understand instruction at the secondary level because instruction is the same at any grade level, good instruction is still good instruction. And so I think just having that understanding of what quality instruction looks like from an elementary point of view helped me help teachers at the secondary level. What do you think uh, from doing time at the middle school level, the secondary level? I, again, my wife was very passionate about middle school. I would call middle school before elementary as doing time. Uh, one, because I was probably a uh, a pain for my teachers then and two, just because middle schoolers are middle schoolers. What do you think is something that from the middle school side that you could take down to elementary that, you know, you learn there that can make you more of an effective leader at an elementary school level? Oh, I think what the secondary level brings is a perspective that um, you kind of keep things simple and you keep things um, to the point. We tend to in elementary overthink things and secondary we don't, you know, we don't think about it that long. We just get to the point. And I think that definitely helps um, overall at the elementary level too, with that mindset. Yeah. So it sounds like in your answers that you do have a real passion for academics and instruction. And so it doesn't seem like much of a surprise that your title is the assistant soup of academic leadership. 
in that role, what are some of your key responsibilities and what are the challenges that you're currently trying to tackle within your district? So my role is pretty big. It um, covers quite a few different areas. I supervise all of our schools K through 12. So we've got six campuses. So I've got three elementary schools, a middle school and well, an intermediate, intermediate school and a junior high and then a high school. And so um, that's my primary responsibility is to oversee the principals of those schools and helping them to lead their campuses. I also oversee all of the curriculum and instruction um, for our district. Wow. Uh, so overseeing the principals, I mean, I, I assume finding the right principles, one of the most important things you can do Absolutely. when you think about highly effective principals, what, uh, it's P A L S, uh, cause we always talk about highly effective principles, L E S, uh, what are the most important components you think when you're looking for someone to lead a school in your district? You know, that's really evolved over the years too. You know, I think when I started, it was more about good management skills. And now it's more about good relational skills. It's what are your interpersonal skills? Because you've got to be able to move people in different directions smoothly. And if you don't have good communication and good interpersonal skills, that's going to really hurt you in leading any of those levels of, of schools right now. Yeah. When when you think about uh, coming into this role, how long have you been in your current role right now? Four years. Four years. So what <laughs> the last four years have been pretty interesting uh, for all of us. What have been the biggest challenges that you've experienced and what are you tackling today? What do you what do you when you think about every morning you wake up? These are the one, two or three things you're trying to have your team move uh, and the outcomes you're trying to get right now. Yeah. Well, always our outcome, our number one outcome is student success. Um, we want to make sure our students are are provided the education that we want for our own children. Um, as parents, we want to make sure we're providing that that good experience for, for students. We want to prepare them. Um, gosh, if anything, the last four years have taught us that we've got to be prepared for, for the unexpected. <laughs> anything could come our way. And so it's really about learning how to shift um, when you need to shift. You know, when I entered this job, I, prior to that, I was K-12 before in a more of a professional development um, role of overseeing all the professional development and role. And then when I came and I'd already supervised um, some schools, so I had that experience. But when I came into this role, that was right during that pandemic time. So we really had to shift and, and learn how to prioritize our everyday task. And I think we're still doing that. I think today is something that I still work with the principals on right now. Um, I had a unique situation where I came in and um, had some really experienced principals at first, then they've been promoted to other jobs because they're great principals. So I have a, a district full of inexperienced principals right now. I have one principal who my high school principal has 10 years of experience. Everybody else has two years or less. So they're wow. either in their second year or first year. <laughs> So um, yeah. we've had to really build up. Um, they came in as leaders after the pandemic. So working with them is very different than the principals I worked with prior to the pandemic. Right. So that's, I think, just really helping them um, see the challenges of our society. And we see that in our schools. We see the societal um, challenges are in our schools every day and how to navigate those those needs and still keep academics and instruction our focus is, has been a real challenge. Yeah, that that was what I was going to ask. Is that um, you know coming out of the pandemic? Let's let's go back 
you said you've been in education for more than a few years. Uh, you know, I don't know, back yeah. in the 2000, 2010s, achievement gap in data were talked about everywhere. And then it kind of subsided a little bit just in terms of the, the overall conversation. And now it's back for everyone, like the achievement yeah. gap, academic, academics, academics. Yet we have, like you said, a society has so many challenges that so many people are bringing into our schools. How do you help? Like, what are some of the key things that you're, you're working with your, your principals to help them balance? You got to get academic results, but you also have to be there and fully relational with the people who need you. So we've really taken an approach of collaboration in our district um, that we can't do this alone, that there's no principal strong enough to handle all of it alone, that we have to really work on, on collaborating one, with one another. We've kind of gone back to the basics of, of that with our, our content teams, our grade level teams, really focused on how to have good, effective, dynamic team talks and yep. working smarter. You're not as hard. Um, I think, you know, that's kind of a cliche thing that people say, but it really is what we try to do is let's work smart. Like what do we need to do to help one another? And sometimes that's efficient and sometimes it's effective. I mean, but you want both, yep. you want efficient and effective. And, and, you know, so that's something that we're really helping our teachers um, learn how to, to count on because it's, it's really hard on the teachers. They've got to count on one another um, and then those principals have got to lead and model that as well. We've got to, as a district leadership team, model that for them. Yeah. So is there anything formal or informal that you all do for principals to create that kind of collaboration? Because as you know, that, that job can be incredibly lonely. And yeah. so especially if you're you know, a first or second year principal, you're probably in your head a lot thinking, man, I'm failing every day, even when you're doing a really good job. What kind of like I said, formal or informal collaboration uh, techniques do you all use to keep everybody together? Yeah, so we um, regularly meet together as a team. Um, we separate any kind of business or management kind of operational um, topics for one type of meeting. And then to help us focus on instruction and to help us focus on that collaboration piece, we have a whole separate time for that built in to where that's all we focus on. Um, you know, just this week, we had a, a time where we were, of course, we're just getting our data back from the state assessments last year. You know, we're kind of late in Texas doing that. So we were um, just getting that and talking about how to address that and how to move forward with that. We really had them working together with that um, vertically because it impacts yeah. our elementaries, impact our secondary. Um, and so really kind of collaborating that by we just embed topics of conversation for our leaders. And so involved with that, it's not just our principals. We have all of our directors um, there as well. So that way, you've got all of your support services surrounding the, the campus leadership teams. So that's how we kind of model that. So anything we do, we, we put in front of them and we model that. And then before they leave, they talk about how they're going to take that back to their own campuses and what they're going to do with that with their teachers. So I think I've learned, especially I think because I have such an experienced um, leadership team, that they really need that example and they need to be able to talk through that and and have someone to coach through it. So I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of times where they'll come in or I'll go out to their campus and I just ask a lot of questions <laughs> and get them to come up um, with their, their solutions and their next steps because I've learned that, you know, these leaders came in, like I said, during that pandemic time where it was really just about survival and just how to 
to make things happen and make things work in this condition. Um, and now we're, we're focusing on other things. Now it's about how do I transition that in, from management kind of things into um, some real deep dive conversations with teachers and, and kids. So when you think about uh, effectiveness for schools, what do you, what, what role does culture play in oh. the academic achievement uh, of kids, right? Because so often I've heard, and I would say the best light, there are, there's a school of thought that would say, just focus on academics, get the results for kids and let's keep it moving, where you kind of just kind of push culture off to the side. It doesn't sound like that from what I know of your leadership. And so what, what role do you think culture plays in getting the results you want for your school or your district? Well, I tend to believe the opposite of what you just mentioned. I, I don't think that you can get the academic results unless you have a good culture. I think mm -hmm. the culture of trust has to be there. You've got to um, establish trust with one another. Um, you've got because that's how you're going to move people into uncomfortable situations and challenging them and to do things that they don't think they can do. They've got to trust you. They've got to trust you as a leader. You've got to trust them as a team. Um, so I think culture is extremely important. So we do a lot of work on culture building, um, a lot of input from our teachers and our stakeholders. A lot, they've got to be able to build those relationships with one another. Our principals who have that naturally built into them have a much easier job than those that have to work on that, that skill. And so we, you know, anything from surveying people to just one-on-one -on -one conversations, but it's really relational. It's high expectations. It's really about, um, just, like I said, building that culture of, of respect among everyone and so that we understand where we're going. They need expectations. When you think about, I mean, you, again, you have a, a number of, of, of newbies. Uh, I, I would say uh, my question for you with advice for them, you know, I know every school is different. So there's no one size fits all, but as best you can to keep this in just like a, here's some buckets of things to think about. A new principal coming in to a staff that's been there for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, what's your advice on how to best approach year one as they're trying to eventually build the culture they want? Yeah. So you've got to watch and learn that first year. If they are, if you're stepping into a culture that already exists, um, you've got to watch and learn. It may not be, you might see things you need to fix immediately, but I always say you have to go slow to go fast. And so you have to kind of watch and see, get input, ask lots of questions, um, get the teachers and staff to discuss their concerns, their needs, what they think is going well, what they'd like to see to continue. They always will know things they want to improve on. Also, they know, they know where, what areas they need help with and support with and and so get it coming from them. It never works to just come in and clean house and start over. Not if you want it to be a, a good culture. It, you've got to really kind of do it together with that staff. Um, you can't ever just come in and just start making changes immediately. You have to learn kind of where they are and, and, build, and start building that trust we talked about. That's got to be so hard for, you know, let's say you hire, again, it's not everybody. I mean, a lot of people get this, but there's got to be principals out there who are so excited, ready to yep. lead, have been thinking about this for a long time and have phenomenal ideas. How do you help them shelve those for a year, possibly two in the name yep. of effectiveness? Oh yeah, that's tough. And, and we have experienced that <laughs> because, you know, of course I want to hire go-getters. And so the go-getters want to, to do those things. It's really, it is about just going slow. So we have to kind of have a vision of where we want to be in three years, five years, 
and then work backwards yep. from that. It's beginning with that end in mind. You know, it's it's coming back towards, you know, this is where I want to be. What are some steps I can take to get there today? You know, and what are some steps tomorrow I can take? Um, and what I've found is that sometimes your staff, the faster you build that trust, they may go quicker with you with those things, um, especially if it's something that they've brought to the table as a concern um, or as a need. They might go a little faster and you can implement some of those things pretty quickly. But it's usually about getting it to be their idea over your idea. So I may come in as a leader with great ideas, you know, and I can talk about myself um, just switching from districts over, you know, when I came into this district, well, I had all kinds of great ideas to do, but there were great things already happening here, too. So it's important that you um, acknowledge the great things that are already happening. And if it's something that needs to happen, it's about selling it. You've got to start selling those things and planting those seeds first because they may have a better way of doing it, actually, and getting the same result. So I think it's just about planting that seed and watering it and, and seeing what comes from it. So you've been a part of building cultures at different levels, uh, as in the district, as well as like we talked about elementary and secondary. When you think about just some core components of what makes a great culture, what are the two or three things when you walk into a school, right? So like, say I brought you up here to St. Louis, Missouri with me, we walked into a school. What, what are the, either the questions you like to ask or two or three look fors of trying to figure out, is this a healthy high effective culture that you're walking into? Oh, sure. So I can usually tell the culture the minute I walk into the building. Um, I can usually see where we're at. Um, and so the questions I would ask is, would you, you know, would you recommend your school to others to come work at? Would you recommend this organization to others? And why? Why would you do that? Why would you want people to come here? Um, that tells you a lot right there. Do I want other people to join this? Um, and how many people say that? And which people say that? You know, what makes us work? What What do we love about our job? What Why are you here? Why did you choose here? Um, and that's where they start talking about, um, you know, people will work for things. They'll work harder for things that they feel valued at and that they feel like they're making a difference in and an impact in um, than over than the people you can tell when they just are there for the job. I just come because I have to have a job and this is where my job is. Um, that you notice that, that immediately you'll notice that culture. You know, I spent some time, um, quite a few years um, in between my principalship and where I'm at now supervising um, academically at risk schools that were improvement required. So that was always where I started was with culture, because if we were already to that stage, if those campuses were already at the stage of needing improvement required because of academic scores and all the different things that come with that, we always started with, well, how do the teachers feel here? Is this set? Do they feel worthwhile? Is, you know, do they believe in the kids? Do they believe in that our students can perform? If we can, if we do that, then we can make some growth here. And when you can put some things in place academically and instructionally to change your outcomes, but it has to start with your belief system and your mindset and wrapping your head around, you know, I want to do this and I, I believe in our kids and I believe in our school and our, our community. Well, what encouragement do you have? It's refreshing to hear your, your take on leadership, especially mm -hmm. with your background, seeing, you know, high need schools where there's a lot of pressure to get results, but there's got to be somebody out, out there listening to this podcast thinking, I totally agree with you. I think we got to go slow to go fast. I want to build culture, but my director of academics, my assistant superintendent of academic leadership says I have to get results this year or else we're closed. 
what's your encouragement for someone in that stage of how to balance that and kind of live through it, but also have the courage to build something lasting like you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You have to be honest about that with your the, your team you're leading. I think honesty is very important. It's about just saying, look, we've got to get these results or we don't exist anymore. So I'm going to need your help with that. And so you might have to push a little harder to get those results and build that trust as long the way you go. But I think just being very honest with them about that, getting their input on, you know, we can do better. Our kids deserve better. You're better teachers than this data shows. How do we do this together? I think that's very important. That's kind of what we had to do at some of our campuses. And the right principle is important for that, that kind of leadership role. It's about somebody that can have really high expectations and, and focus on results, but at the same time, encourage your, your people, your troops along the way. You know, this is what we've got. Here's where we are. And these are our resources we have. So what we're going to have to make it work with what we have. So let's get started. Um, but it's really weeding out, you know, the naysayers too. You know, if you, if you can't be on this journey with us, I need to know that. Like you need to come to me and I need to find a different seat for you because this is where we have to go. We have, we are got to have results. So let's figure out how to make that happen. So you can kind of push. Yeah, that's great. Because I, I do think there's some folks that will either just kind of begrudgingly just do academics and just ignore the importance of culture because of that, or they err too much side on culture and lose the sense of urgency they have to have. And so it's, yeah. a, it's a delicate balance, as you know. It is a delicate balance. So I, I think my biggest advice is find someone to help coach you through that too. Have some a mentor, have somebody that you can talk to that ha, can just ask questions and who can just be there to bounce ideas off of. Because, again, you, you can't do it by yourself. And, and that's a that's a hard balance um, results driven and building culture. Now, hopefully we're going to build both at the same time in that circumstance. If it's already yep. a, a, a performing you know organization, then you just have to really focus on culture and take it higher um, because that'll happen naturally. So let's let's think about a principal who's been in the seat for a number of years and they have a great culture. One, you know, my friends who are in that kind of position sometimes struggle with how to keep things fresh. How yep. what's your advice for leaders who again have done all the hard heavy lifting of building a high trust, great uh, positive uh, culture? How do you encourage them, or what's some advice you have for them to keep it fresh each year? Yeah, so that's where you run the risk for becoming status quo and just um, being comfortable. Once you've established that kind of culture and it's real easy to fall into the trap of just being status quo. We're okay the way we are. We like it here. Or we're doing okay. I think that's challenging uh, your team to look at what's the next step for us. We're doing great. You know, um, my motto as a leader is it's, if we're the best, then the best keeps getting better. So how do we get better? Because the best always has to get better. So what do we need to do to excel from here? What, what do we need to implement? What do we need to do? Let me challenge you um, individually because you've got some high performers probably. And what, how do they need to be fed? What do they need to do? Should we be leading some different initiatives for the district? Should we be modeling things? But I think there's always room to, to push and grow a team um, because every year presents new challenges. So I think there's always a way to, I don't know any school or any organization that has 100% perfection at anything yet. So, yeah. so I think we can always strive to do that. 
and just have fun. Have fun with your, the people you work with every day. Just enjoy that and and challenge one another. Set those goals and measure the progress of those goals. Yeah, it sounds like you're a mildly competitive person, which I love. Uh, I, I was with a friend <laughs> this weekend who's a, a leader in his organization. And one of our favorite questions that we love to ask people is, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Ooh, and both of us question. are college athletes. And for us, again, I don't know if there's anything to learn from it, but we both have a bias and I'll state it here for hate to lose because love to win, you can feel good about. Again, I'm not suggesting anybody who loves to win is a bad person. I just think hates to lose is the, I don't care what, it's basically what you described, John, honestly. Yeah. It was... I just want to be the best. Even if I'm the best now, I want to keep being the best. So I just don't want to lose. So what's the next level that we have to get right. to? Absolutely. I don't know yeah. if you ever asked that, but I would I would love to see what your principles. You should ask them that in the next uh, yeah. meeting and just say, do you I love will. to win or hate to lose? And write it down and just see if that tells you a little bit about the personality. Again, it's not better or worse. Yeah. Uh, probably, again, I hate to lose. So there's probably some maniacal behaviors that I have to work on there. But uh I do think it tells you a little bit about the personalities you get to work with. Yeah, I, I do think it's important. I think that's great. I think I will ask them that actually. Um, no, I think it's really important. And it's, you know, I, like I told you, I mean, I've done this for 31 years. This is my 31st year in this business and I love it still. I mean, because I love the challenge of that. I, I'm not afraid of a challenge. And I think leadership is full of challenges. And I think you've got to just, um, know the position you're in and know what comes with that and be okay with that and be okay with being uncomfortable sometimes and to grow and, and to perform. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with ever um, trying to be better and always trying to, to achieve a little bit different level. Hate to lose. Uh, yeah, real quick, before we get out here, my, my last question for you in just a minute is going to be about the best leadership advice that you've had. But before we get there, I want to go through our rapid fire questions. And so oh, okay. the first one is, what is a habit or discipline that you utilize on an every day, ideally, or every week to make you the best version of yourself? So I'm a planner. Um, I really believe in Covey's quadrant um, Habit, <laughs> habit three, but first things first, I really believe in that. In quadrant two, I'm a quadrant two girl for sure. I like to plan ahead um, and stay in that. That's how you can collaborate and learn and grow. So I really try to keep myself there at all times so that I can handle the quadrant one things that come up, which are all your you, the fires you have to put out and all the things that take up your time. Um, I, that's really the habit I try to practice the most every day, um, just what, what's my plan and keeping others on a plan. I love it. When I first became a teacher that I had, I got made fun of, uh, by my roommates, uh, because I had this big bulletin board that I built like a whiteboard that was the quadrants, right? Like, what do I need to get rid of? And so it's the first time I've heard someone also say that. So basically I, geeked oh, yeah, out that's and I, think my favorite. I do the quadrant training quite often. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, you know, we, the, the people we invite on this podcast, we're for, fortunate to have some just really thoughtful people who are co in constant kind of growth mindset. So we're always interested to know what what they're reading or what they're listening to. And so my question for you is, what's a book you've either read recently or throughout your career that you just feel like you have to recommend? It can be more than one, but just a powerful book that really shaped you. Yeah. So I love... Um leadership books. I, I like, I have a lot of them I would recommend, but I think the most powerful one for me as a leader um, is The Multiplier 
by Liz Wiseman. And it is about finding the strengths and people you have. Like, you know, we're, you're not getting new and better. Or These are the people you have that you, you serve. And how do you pull the best out of them? And how do you multiply their talent? And then how do I, as, with my personality, accidentally diminish their talents? And I think that was a real eye-opener for me as a leader is, you know, my personality, I mean, there's things I can do that might diminish others accidentally. So I have to be aware of those things um, because not everybody has my same personality and they don't all like think my passion is as great as I think it is. So how do I, how do I, you know, use that appropriately? So um, I think that's the book I recommend to people anytime they are trying to um, build a team around them. It's multiplying the, the strengths in each of the people that, that you surround yourself with. That's awesome. Uh, so our, our third question is, uh, again, we got baseball fans in this house. What would be your walk-up song today? You know, as baseball players have their walk-up songs going up, uh, it could be, you know, again, if you don't have one off the top of your head, you can think about one of your favorite songs for forever that you just put on, but what's your walk-up song? <laughs> well, the one that comes to mind is living on a prayer. <laughs> so <laughs> I think every day I just kind of live on a prayer and hope that, you know, that we're just going to keep trucking along. So um, I don't know if that would be my, exactly my walk-up song, but I definitely um, feel like that a lot of days. Just, you know, let's just, let's do it and have faith in it and let's go forward. Well, I don't know how you can listen to that song and not get an air microphone or an air I know, guitar. I know. <laughs> It's a, it's a decent, I love it. It's a great song. All right. Last question before I give you your day back to get back to your principles. What's the best piece of leadership advice you've either been giving to your principles this year or that you've received or read about that's just in your heart that you want to share with people right now? I think the one that comes to mind for me right now that we have been really discussing is communication. I think that, you know, we live in a time of uncertainty. Most people aren't afraid of change. You know, we always say that people um, don't like change. And I think what they don't like is the unknown. They don't know and they fear the unknown more than the actual change itself. And so I think anytime there's change or there's unknown, um, communication is extremely important. So I think that, you know, you cannot over communicate with people right now. Let them know what's to expect. Let them know what's coming down the, the way. Let them know what's happening next week. Let them know, you know, I think just the more we can communicate with people um, and keep them in the loop, then they feel like they know what to expect and they're more willing to, um, to accept change. That's awesome. Well, I think, you know, communication, I feel like, what, what's your response to people who say, well, I've said that. Uh, I know I've said that, but they're not getting the response they want. How do you help people understand that it's it's just constant communication? Because I'm sure you've heard that. Oh, right. So just oh yeah, and I say that I'm like, well, I've, I don't know how else to say it, you know. <laughs> but I think it's if they didn't, if they're not responding, then they didn't hear it and they don't understand mm -hmm. it. So it's okay to to say it again. Um, and really, I can get been out of shape about having to communicate the same thing 14 times, or I can just communicate it 14 times, you know, and and, and go from there. And so I, I think if that helps them out for me to say it again, and I always remind them that, you know, when somebody asks you, you might've answered that question 14 times, but you've only answered it once for that person. So that 14th person needs the same courtesy and respect as the first person who asked you. 
And if 14 people are asking me, then I didn't do it very well. I didn't do too good of a job at <laughs> communicating. So That's great. So basically it's a posture of communication. How do you constantly just continue mm -hmm. to communicate with all of your stakeholders in many yeah. different ways as possible? And just transparency. Right? I think transparency is incredibly important when you're talking about communication. I think just being transparent with people helps. There's no hidden agendas. Well, Shauna, this was an awesome conversation. I appreciate you making time to be here with us. I feel very blessed to have you in our family of work, um, but also I just feel blessed that you're out there serving a community. Um, thank you for bringing your whole heart to this, and I hope you had as much fun as I did. Oh, I love it. So thank you for having me. Um, yeah, this has been great. And if people want to find you or learn more about you or reach out, what's the best way people can do that? Well, they can put me on, I guess it's called X now instead of Twitter. <laughs> so they can find me there. <laughs> I don't know how you say tweet that or X that or whatever, but I'm out yeah, on Twitter. Um, find me there. Um, you know, my, you can call me up um, at work anytime. And no, I'd love to connect and network with people. So just reach out. I have a feeling you're going to have some people reach out to you. So uh, again, thanks for okay. your time. Have a great day. Appreciate you. Okay. Thanks so much, Dustin.